0: Let's turn again in the book of the Psalms this morning to Psalm 85, the 85th Psalm, addressed to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Psalm 85, Lord, you have been favourable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God, of our salvation and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Amen. Let's pray briefly once more. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to plead. Teach us to engage with you in confident hope. Teach us to believe, O oh Lord. Teach us to desire what you alone can give. Open our mouths, O oh God, and when they are opened, fill them, we pray. Lord, hear us, bless us, guide, instruct and stir us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Do you think very much about the way in which you pray? Do you think very much about what you pray for? Sometimes prayer can be a bit like opening our mouths and turning the handle and we crank out what we've always cranked out. You may have been in congregations where you can not only predict in what order people will stand to pray, but more or less the order in which they will pray the things that they pray, the words that they will use, to the point that you can even finish people's sentences. We can fall into ruts in our praying. We can fall into a routine of of simply rehearsing a certain number of tired And sometimes quite shallow petitions before God. The Psalms, together with other portions of God's word, teach us to engage with God in prayer in a different spirit. Psalm 85 is an argumentative prayer. Now we need to use that language carefully. But it is dealing with God, it is wrestling with God, it is righteously arguing with God on a firm foundation for blessings that are deeply craved and particularly needed. It is grappling with God in something of the spirit that Isaac did. It is a prayer that is brought in hope by a downcast people. Now they're they're in distress They seem to be at a point where uh, they have suffered on account of their particular sins that they have committed. And again here, they are turning to the God of their salvation. I don't know if you were struck even by those first two verses before the the, the pregnant pause. What has God done? Lord, you have been favourable to your land. Lord, you have brought back the captivity of Jacob. Lord, you have forgiven the iniquity of your people. Lord, you have covered all their sin. What a stunning sense of the God with whom we have to do. Is that the kind of conception of God, the kind of understanding of the Lord that fuels our appetites in praying, that stirs us to speak to him as the God who shows mercy, the God who grants salvation? I think that we need to to pray more in this way. I don't know what you're, you're thinking or hoping or asking or praying as you come out of August and into September. There may be some particular needs that we have, some particular challenges that we face, some particular demands of which we are aware. And it's not wrong, of course, for us to pray with regard to some of those things, both individually and congregationally. But what do we want as a congregation, as a church? What do we long for? What do we hope for? What are we going to argue with God in order that we might obtain? How will you plead with your Father in heaven? What reasons will you bring to the God of your salvation? And what particular blessings will you crave? What might the Lord do for us that we might say would actually, if not even begin, perhaps even finish, dealing with all of the other things that we might want? Think the, the, the emphasis here, verse 6 of Psalm 85. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? In this verse, you've got hope that is looking. You've got faith that is pleading. And you've got love that is waiting and I want to set this before us as a church as a spur an encouragement and a pattern for our praying not just at the end of this service not just again if we remember it tonight but tomorrow in the concert of prayer praying for the revival of true religion and the extension of Christ's kingdom in the earth to have this as part of our appetite and our expression on our prayer meetings on Wednesday evenings and and when the, the men or the women gather in different places, when we sit down as families, when we gather as friends, when we seek the face of God in our private devotion. What will inform us? How will we pray? Let us think about what we want and how we are going to approach this gracious God. Here then is hope looking. Will you not revive us again? The prayer is directed to God. And it's directed to God in the character in which he is presented to us. The God who has been favourable. The God who has brought back his captivity. I didn't have any intention of uh, those echoes in Psalm 126 and Psalm 85 but that's the God with whom God's people have to deal. A God who forgives the iniquity of his people. A God who covers all our sin. It is this God to whom we come. The great I am. The eternal covenant God. The one who was undertaken to be our redeemer. Who was bound himself to us with bonds which cannot be broken, who has loved us in his Son with an everlasting love, who has chosen us in Christ from before the foundation of the earth, who delights to do good to those upon whom he has set his love, whose work is to give life, to sustain life, and to stir life. It is the grace of God in Christ that alone meets our case as God's people. Whatever our needs may be, whatever our desires may be, whatever our hopes and opportunities, whatever our pressures and responsibilities, it is to God, this God, in this character, that we as God's people not just may come, but must come. To say, in effect, with with Peter, to whom else shall we turn? You have the words of eternal life. Where will we go if not to you, the God of mercy, the God of salvation? And what do we want? Lord, revive us. Revive us again. Restore us. Turn to us and turn us to yourselves. It's that bring back the captivity. Turn the captivity. Lord, reverse our fortunes make light to shine in our darkness where we've been knocked back lift us up and carry us forwards where we've been in distress where we've seemed to be ineffective where we've longed for blessings that we haven't seen when we we know that we've fallen short of your glory oh god turn to us and turn us to you It is a prayer that the Lord in his grace would operate upon us to give us the deliverances and the comforts and the blessings that I trust you know we need. And I trust that you yourself want in this congregation that our hearts would be lifted heavenwards, that our cowardice would become courage, that our distresses would be swallowed up in a sense of God's mercies. It's a prayer that when life has begun to ebb, that God would stir that life again. We have a a hymn that asks the question, where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Now, it may be, and I hope it would be, that some of us are sitting here and saying, Lord, you have only carried me forward. And at this point in time, I I know particular favour. My heart's been lifted up. I'm refreshed in body and soul. Perhaps over the the summer break, things have slowed down maybe a little bit. I've been able to read my scriptures more often and more eagerly. I've been able to set aside additional time for prayer. I've been amongst God's people in different places. It's stirred up my soul. But I suspect that even those of us who may be in that state would say, I'm not what I want to be yet. I don't have what I desire yet. I haven't seen the blessings and the favours that I crave. Others of us might be saying, I thought this was going to be refreshing. I thought this was going to be restorative. But there have been challenges that we face. There have been difficulties through which we've struggled. I've been afflicted and assaulted. I spoke to Uh, on some of my travels to a lady who's uh, undertaken some particular act of service. So for the last two months, she feels like the devil himself is standing at her shoulder to rip and to tear at every turn. The, The heights of our experience, they should leave us longing for more. The depths of our experience should leave us crying out for blessing. Christian living is not that seamless, from your direction, that seamless upward line. It's more the line of best fit, isn't it? With the ebbs and the flows, with the peaks and the troughs. Yes, over time, moving upward and onward. But in our experience, day by day and week by week, often battered and bruised. And sometimes it's just neglect. One of the tragedies of, of those down times is rather than using them to draw near to God, well, you, I, there was a, a joke that someone once told me. It was a joke. It was a, a young lady who was li- li- visiting the congregation uh, with some other friends. And uh, the conversation turned to what, what we were reading uh, while they were here on their holiday. And uh, she said, oh, it's, I, I'm on holiday. I'm, take, I'm taking a break from the Bible. Now, she said it with, a, with a, a wry smile, and people knew that she was jesting. But sometimes when we, we relax, the armour comes off. We neglect prayer. We, we, we read less. We drift, and we have to climb back up again. And what these people, the sons of Korah, are saying in effect is, Lord, according to our need, deal with us mercifully. Insofar as we desire greater blessings, bless us, O God, again. Insofar as we have slipped or slidden, will you not, O God, pour out your goodness upon us? Who is praying this? Lord, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? You notice how they don't just pray for themselves individually. They don't even pray for themselves as the sons of Korah, as a group. They're praying for all the people of God. They're praying for the the people and the saints, faint and feeble men and women. They're entering into the needs and the desires of the whole group. This is something that we can pray as we're preachers, pray if we're elders and deacons, pray as the people of God. Whatever may be our state and condition as we we see the needs that are among us, uh, a self-satisfaction, an an ease, a, a casualness, maybe even a carelessness especially when we're becoming lazy or despondent, if we've been drained of our energies, if we've even fearfully begun to backslide. This is what we need. This is the hope that we have. Oh God, will you restore us? You can look across the whole congregation and you can bundle everything that any one of us requires if we're, we're lacking strength, if we're lacking joy, if we're lacking peace, if we're lacking will, if we're lacking energy, if we're lacking prospect. Oh God, will you revive us? Will you grant more of the life that you have given? It is a humble cry. It is a looking to God on high from the depths. And it is a hopeful cry. It's arguing with the God of our salvation. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? You can question God. You can cry to God. You can plead with God. Now let me say before I move on that anybody who says, well, this is a prayer for Christians then. This is a prayer for those who are already in the church. What hope is there for me? Why do these men and women go to God to stir up life? It is because God alone can give life. He is the author of life. If you desire salvation, it is with this God that you must begin a God who is favorable to his people, a God who brings back the captivity, a God who forgives iniquity, a God who covers sin. To whom will you cry in order that you may be saved from your sins? Upon whom will you call that you may have life everlasting? Perhaps you you barely even realise, or maybe not even at all, that this is what you need. Others of you may be here this morning saying, Well, I know that this is what I need, and it's even what I want. My friend, go to God by Christ Jesus. Life is in him. Life comes from him. Look at how willing he is to give it. His people don't come doubting and fearing. We know the character of our God. And you know him too if you have seen him in Christ Jesus. You think even of what we just read in Luke's gospel. When his disciples are ready to throw people out, trample people down, call down fire from heaven... Oh, my friends, we have a Christ who has come not to destroy, but to save, whose heart is inclined towards sinners like you and me, who is most ready to bestow blessing upon you. Do not hold back. Do not wait longer. Do not argue yourself out of confidence, but come to the God of salvation. I've met folks in the last year... It's heartbreaking. They hear Christ proclaimed. They see the Lord Jesus exalted. There's something in him that they find profoundly desirable and attractive. And yet, as soon as the sermon is over, their ugly training kicks in. And they begin to tell themselves, well, am I believing enough? Is this God really mine? Does Jesus Christ really love me? Would he really answer me? My friends, Christ came to save sinners. Do not doubt him. Do not doubt the God who sent him. Do not doubt the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want life, come now to God. And when that life reaches a lower ebb, when that life seems to be swamped by the stuff of this world, when you want your life to be sustained and strengthened, you ask this God. Here is hope looking. Hope for God's people, yes. But this is the hope of every sinner, that there is a God who blesses and who blesses again and again and again. And that brings us to the second thing here, faith pleading. I love that word again. Will you not revive us again? How often do you go to God and ask for mercy? How many times have you needed to ask the Lord to forgive you for your transgressions and to restore you to nearness to Jesus Christ? How often have you had to... uh, having grieved the Holy Spirit by your worldliness and by your indulgence in sin, to have called out once again that you might be washed afresh in the blood of the Lamb and be brought back into close communion with your God. These are people who know that the Lord has been favourable in the past and who are expecting that God will be favourable again. That's the confidence of a people who know their God that's the understanding of of men and women who understand that a God is this God is favorable this God turns captivity this God forgives iniquity this God covers sin this God takes away wrath this God turns from his fierce anger this is a God who lavishes love and who is ever ready to bless My friends, do we grasp that God is more ready, more willing, more primed to give us the things that we really need than we are to ask him for them? If you were desperately thirsty and you were standing in front of a a dam of some kind and there was fresh water stored up behind it, All you need to do, as it were, is to to flick a switch and the refreshing streams will gush forth. We can tell ourselves, well, I'm not sure the switch will work. Maybe the water's a bit stagnant behind. I'm not sure how thirsty I really am. I've had a wee trickle of something here. I think I can keep going. My friends, the pent-up mercies of our Heavenly Father... Wait only for our asking. He is most ready to bless his people. This then is not a new thing. It's a prayer, Lord, having turned us to yourself, draw near again, having returned to us, now do more. Oh God, if you've done this for us, do it for us more and do it for others. Raise up a people for your praise. Now, brothers and sisters, are we primed to pray like this? Look at some of the arguments that the sons of Korah use and tell me that these don't, at least in measure, apply to ourselves. When we consider God's past acts, does that not stir us up to plead with faith? If God has been favourable, do we imagine that the unchanging God has now somehow changed and will not be favourable again? If God has brought back the captivity of Jacob, can he not turn again? If God forgives the iniquity of his people, do we think that he will forget to do so in the future? If a God is ready to cover the sins that we have committed against him, can we not come with sins committed and ask him to cover them again? God's taken away his wrath. Why should we not trust him? God has turned from the fierceness of his anger. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed or embraced. Truth springs out of the earth. Righteousness shall look down from heaven. My friends, this is Calvary language. Where do mercy and truth meet? Where do righteousness and peace kiss? Where does God show himself just and the justifier? It is when a sinner puts faith in Jesus Christ. This is the reconciliation. This is God in his wisdom and in his goodness, showing his mercy and his truth to his people. You can look back to what God has accomplished at Calvary. That must always be your highest, sweetest, greatest, purest plea. It is a, an unfailing cry, O oh God, for your son's sake. Do us good again. Do us good more. Lift us up to yourself. Turn to us and turn us to yourself. Then it's good for us to remember God's typical mercies. We need to know our God if we are to pray in this way. We need to remind ourselves this is how God loves to act. God's wrath God's wrath is held back. God delights more to bless than he does to blight. God is slow to anger, but he is so quick to forgive. God loves to do good to his people. You think of that, the parallels that our Lord so often uses, working from the lesser to the greater. You fathers, if you being evil know how to do good to your children... You you think of your stinking, wretched, sinful heart. And yet how easily entreated you can be by your children. How quick you are. How generous you love to be. How you delight to to, to give them treats and to uh, give them uh, particular blessings. To surprise them with good things. When they need something from you, you're ready to open your hand. If that's what you can be like with your own children, you sinful men, what about the sinless God? the pure and holy one. Do you not think there is generosity in him? Are his hands not open toward us? Is he not ready to do us good? We need to start thinking of God as God has made himself known and not as we might be afraid that he is. We need to recall God's covenant faithfulness and to do so in prayer. This is is the argument. Lord... What you've done in the past, do it again. Lord, show yourself to be the God that we know yourself to be. Oh, Father, act in accordance with your covenant faithfulness. That is the prominent name in this psalm. You have attached yourself to us. You've bound yourself to us. You've promised that you shall be our God, that we shall be your people. And we remember these things, oh God. We know that you've said them. You are the God who does not lie. You are the God who does not revoke your promises. You are the God who, having spoken your word, stands sure. Will you not prove yourself the God of our salvation, the Lord of mercy? Cause your anger toward us to cease. Faith needs to plead like this when it acknowledges God's real displeasure. This is not then the judge, as it were, with the hammer waiting to fall. This is the grieving father over his children who've turned out of the right way. Cause your anger toward us to cease. Uh, Hang on, you've turned away from the fierceness. You've taken away all your wrath. You've turned from the fierceness of your anger. Yes, I've made you my people. But you have sinned. You've neglected, you've ignored, you've despised, you've gone into your own way. It's a strange argument, isn't it? Will you be angry with us forever? You see how even the sense of God's displeasure against sin, yoked with a sense of who God is in forgiving that sin, gives you a reason to plead. You can bring your sins to God. Perhaps your instinct is to hide them, to try and put them away, to to, to buff yourself up a little bit and then to bring yourself into God's presence and, and hope that he perhaps doesn't quite notice the fact that it's not been a good day or a good week. Or do you come to the forgiving God and you say, Lord, I deserve judgments. Will you be angry with me forever? Isn't that an effectual plea with a God of love, with a God of mercy? Will you you turn from me or will you turn to me? When we find ourselves spiritually dull, will you not revive us? There's a sense that we are not where we want to be, not what we ought to be. Oh God, is there not more to, to knowing you than this, not more to serving you than this? Are there not more promises that we have to claim? Are there not more blessings that you have ordained? Do we not read in the pages of our Bible of the word of God coming with power? Do we not read in the scriptures men and women being converted? Have we not seen And sadly, we speak of it more in our history books than we do in our diaries of how God has been pleased to work. And, oh Lord, we find ourselves listless, we find ourselves dull, and maybe even whatever it's been the last few weeks okay, we're back into the groove, it's back to school, it's back to work, it's back to this, it's back to the schedule, the the calendar is full, the duties are, are there, there are people in our homes, there are things to do in the church, there are conferences coming up. How easy it would be to lose sight of our God and our need of him in the midst of all these things. When we find ourselves painfully ineffective... Where is the good that we desire? The Lord must give it. We've seen such blessing here in the last year or so. Have enough people been converted for you? Has enough joy been restored for you? Are the sermons potent enough for you? Are our prayer meetings fervent enough for you? Is our love for one another deep enough for you? Have we seen men and women and children to whom we've spoken turning to Jesus Christ? I mean, not even in their droves, but let alone the ones and the twos. Have we seen people seeking after God? Have we found our hearts lifted up heavenward? We found our children seeking the face of the Almighty, crying out to Him and being saved. Lord, revive us again. You've done it before. Do it once more, O oh God. And what you've begun to do, keep doing. When we see ourselves declining and backsliding, Now I'm not talking about the kind of twistedness that imagines that we're in a constant state of backsliding. Sometimes I have to speak to, I'm backsliding this week. Brother, sister, backsliding is a distinct, significant season. The fact that you're having a rough week does not mean you have become a backslider since the last Lord's Day. The trouble is that when you tend to think of all spiritual struggle and declension as backsliding, you know what happens? Well, you're a backslider. You're a backslider. You're, we're all backsliders. My friends, a church backsliding as a congregation would be the most fearful thing imaginable. I trust there's no one here who under a veneer of religion has found deadness entering their soul. But even if we don't reach those depths what about the declines what about the weeks or the months or the seasons where we seem to be at a distance from God when the things of earth rather than growing strangely dim seem to press into our vision when the things of heaven rather than appearing bright seem more distant, distant than otherwise when God is squeezed out of our schedules when we can go perhaps week after week knowing and even feeling that we we ought to be reading, we ought to be praying, but there's very little appetite for the truth of God and for communion with God. And we end up just trying to guilt ourselves into seeking his face. What does faith say? Show us your mercy, Lord. Grant us your salvation. I will hear what the Lord, God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. See that sensitivity to your own sin? Oh God, so prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. It only takes a little nudge and I'm, I'm off the track. Only takes one wrong word and I'm back in the rut. Only takes... One, a difficult experience and doubts and fears bubble up again. God, will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Again, my friends, faith pleads because faith knows the God with whom it pleads. Do you discern God's readiness to bless? Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Do you have a faith that can plead that? Even out of the depths let alone from the heights. A hope that is looking to the God of salvation to revive us, a faith that is pleading. Will you not do it, O God, now? Will you not do it again? Will you not do it more and more? Will you not do it increasingly? Will you give us more of your spirit? Will you fill us with him again and again and again? Will you grant that who we are and what we do will more and more reflect the God whom we serve and the God who has saved us? (laughs) And then there's love waiting. Will you not revive us again? And here is this potent argument. It's the invariable outcome of a true reviving, restoring and refreshing of the souls of God's people. It is not, you notice, fundamentally a self-centred prayer. Oh God, things are tough for me right now. Make them better. I think sadly that's often how we pray. And that's a poor argument with the God of heaven and earth. It's not relief alone. That things aren't as bad as they were. It's not smugness that we got our jail out of get out of jail free card once again from the judge of heaven. the ultimate end and desire of such prayers as these is not in us but in him. Will you not revive us again, O God? Not just so that we can see the display of your power. Not just so that we can see the display of your power toward us. We're not asking simply that the Lord will put on some kind of divine firework display. And we all stand around and go, ooh, ah, that was nice. And then walk back home again in the darkness. My friends, it's not a temporary pleasure and it's not a passing blessing that we crave. What is the outcome of God's mercy toward his people? What is the instinct of a soul that has been brought near again to God when God turns to us and makes his face to shine upon us so that we are saved? When God turns us back to himself, gives us fresh appetites, fresh arguments, fresh desires, when we open our mouths and God us them. God's people revived, refreshed and restored. They will rejoice in God. We will praise the God of our salvation. We will delight in him. We will honour him. We will exalt him and we will be able to call others to find him because we know him we walk with him and we delight in him. It is God himself who gives us joy. Is that what you find, my friend? That it is not simply the gifts that God gives, but the giver himself, that you can say with the prophet Habakkuk, oh God, if you took everything away but yourself, then still I would be a rejoicing Christian. Still I would be a happy man, a happy woman. Now, we don't wish it. We're not praying that God will do that. But we ought to be able to testify it. And that is the point that we ought to seek to be at. Not, oh God, I want to be sick. Not, I want to be poor. Not, I want to be trampled. Not, I want to be persecuted. But, oh God, if you were to take away my health, That I might rejoice in you because my soul would be close to you. If you were to take away my wealth. If you were to take away my home. If you were to take away my prospects. If you were to take away my earthly dreams. If you were to take away the delight of my eyes. If you were to take away my husband or my wife or my children. If you were to take away the congregation. If you were to take away my capacity to serve. Oh God, if I were left with nothing but yourself then still I would be able to rejoice in a God of mercy and grace and love. And my friends, he does not do these things. He has not done them for us. He has given us himself. He has given us his son and he has lavished love upon us. He has given us himself and with him he has blessed us in so many ways that he might be the end of all our living. God himself making himself known in Christ for salvation so that when we think about the God with whom we have to deal, When we read our Bibles, when we come away from a prayer meeting, when we shut a book that we have been studying because it shows us more of God in Christ, when we finish talking to one another about who God is in himself and to us, the testimony of our souls is fundamentally this. What a God we have. When did you last say that? When did I last say that to somebody? After a song or a sermon or a book or a conversation, my friends, what a God we have. What a heavenly father. What a matchless mercy giver. What a savior. What a redeemer. Behold our God. Behold our redeemer. Behold our deliverer. Behold our protector. Here is our good shepherd. Here is the Lord who provides. Here is the God who saves. My friends, what good that would do for us. What blessings it would bring, not just to us or to others. Parents, do your children hear you saying things like that about God? Are they attracted to the God who so attracts you? What about your friends? Do they hear your testimonies of God's great mercy toward you? Do they see us rejoicing in the God of our salvation? Do our neighbours know what God is to us. On Friday evening at the fellowship conference, uh, somebody interviewed Jeff Thomas. He talked about his upbringing in Wales. His father was a religious man, but not a Christian. His mother was a sweet Christian woman. And uh, he had contacts with with other people and uh, other lads from uh, other homes, churchgoers, many of them, and he mentioned how one of the distinguishing features of his mother's life was that she used to go around singing hymns of praise to God. And then, if I remember rightly, one of his friends, he either spoke to him or he came into the house, what's your mother doing? Well, she's singing. She's singing hymns. He turned to his friend, he said, does your mother not sing hymns? <laughs> That, that was, for her, part of the natural expression of her communion with God. Now, I don't doubt that there were times when perhaps she sang hymns that were more mournful in tone. Maybe she kept those for her, her private times. But he remembered a Christian mum who sang God's praises as she went around the home. I'm not trying to lay something on anybody. I've got to start singing. (laughs) No. But where are the natural expressions of our delight in the God who saves? Of our rejoicing in God? Are we more full of complaining than we are of rejoicing? Do we think more perhaps of what we think God has taken away than what God in his mercy has given? This is the joy that lasts. This is the hope that goes on rising. This is the faith that keeps on pleading. The only joy that really endures, that is rooted, stable, solid, lasting, deep and high is the joy that is in the God who has drawn near to his people to bless. Why should we ask this? Why should you ask God to revive us again is it really for ourselves or is it ultimately for God now in a sense there's no tension there is there Lord revive us that we may rejoice in you is that not a wonder that God has so ordained his relationship to us as his people that the way in which he secures glory for his name is by blessing you He might have done it a thousand, thousand other ways. But God has ordained that he will put joy in your hearts by giving you life everlasting and increasing your sense, your appetite, your desire, your experience of that life. You'll find this kind of prayer scattered through the scriptures. Nehemiah argued with God. Daniel argued with God. Christ himself argued with his father in this sense. Lord, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Lord, give me back the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world in order that your people might be blessed and that they might be lifted up to us and that the love that we have they may have and the glory that we possess may be scattered upon them how do you pray have you thought about it what will you pray have you considered it at the end of a summer with much lying around us and much lying before us opportunities Duties, responsibilities, new challenges, new demands. What will we pray? What will be the tone of our pleading and our looking and our waiting? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Brothers and sisters, In our private devotion, in our family worship, in our occasional intercessions, in our gatherings (coughs) for prayer. Let us give ourselves to this kind of reasoning pleading. Take some arguments with you to the throne of grace. Start with God Himself who He is, what He's done, how He acts how he's shown himself in your Saviour, Jesus Christ. Those of you who've never gone to the throne of grace before, go there now for those reasons, because a God waits to bless all who call upon him. Take your sins. Take your wearinesses. Take your griefs and your grievances. Take your weaknesses and your distresses. Put them before a God of love and grace. And pray to him with us. Will you not revive us again? And make sure that these pleas are rooted in the character of God. With an appetite that he may be glorified even in us. Do this, O God of our salvation. Revive us again. Will you not do this? Why? that we your people may rejoice.